All right, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask you to go to 1 Samuel chapter 18. And I'm going to read the passage uh, that we were going to be in today. And then we will begin to tell you what our message from the Lord is about today. So 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 1. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Let me pray for the word to do what it's cost today. God, we love you. We trust your word as we read it today and we put it before our minds and our hearts to accomplish three very clear things today. God, first, would you give us the knowledge of your word and what your scriptures want to tell us today. God, we would then ask that you would give us soft hearts, that you would give us a good motive to respond to your scriptures, which is clearly and always Jesus Christ and the gospel. And then lastly, God, would you activate life transformation in us. That it just wouldn't fall on deaf ears. It wouldn't end with inflamed hearts. But it would cause us to live transformed lives. We trust you to do that. Would you teach us about friendships today? We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. So we are in a, a kind of a two-week gap. Uh, we finished up with a series called Seven a couple of weeks ago. Um, and we will launch into First Timothy next week as we continue on in our uh, series regarding the church. But we've taken two weeks to kind of go off on two ind- independent sermons, standalone sermons, if you will. Um, and last week we looked at a story from the life of David. And we learned this lesson uh, about our emotions, that they are a gauge and they are not a guide. That we are a people who are not governed by our guts, but we are governed by our God. And I hope that worked well for you. I hope that spoke to you and moved you in such a way uh, to be driven by the Spirit and not by our flesh. Today, we're going to look at another story from the life of David. We're going to look at the relationship, the friendship between David and Jonathan, all right? And it's going to leave us and set up for us this great picture of what true, real, biblical, life-giving, soul-satisfying friendships should look like in our lives, all right? Now, it's been said about friendships, um, it's been said that a friend will help you move, but a real friend will help you move a dead body, all right? Maybe you've heard that before. That's a joke. You can laugh a little bit. Now, clearly, we don't ascribe to that. Um, if you do, there's forgiveness for you, of course. Uh, but we do want friends who have our backs, that they're willing to do anything for us. They are loyal, a faithful, committed to the very, very end. But the reality of it is that many of us don't have those kind of friends in our lives. Uh, that just doesn't look that way for us. 
Um, you know, growing up, I, I remember most of my friends, pretty much all of my friends, were centered around two commonalities in my life, sin and sports. Like, I, I mean, I just surrounded my people who sin like I did. They love the same sins, and we just got along because we loved to sin together. We were really good at that. And then sports as well. I just had these commonalities uh, that that's the people that I surrounded myself with. Uh, those relationships, however, were very surface level they were very shallow. Uh, they were, nobody was coming up and checking my heart, bro, kind of thing. I love you, man. How can I serve you? It was just these shallow, uh, not deep, not intimate relationships. Um, and that was on me because all of my relationships were just kind of centered on these superficial commonalities. I didn't have any true, real, genuine friends. And then I became a follower of Jesus Christ. And then I met a man named Joey Ryan. Some of you know Joey um, and what he means to our church and these things. But Joey was a man that, um, he was the first man that ever told me he loved me. He invited me into his home. He invited me into his life. Um, he walked with me um, through the beginning and introduction into my ministry, um, and continues to walk through me with ministry today, ministering not only to me, but ministering to my family um, in so many ways. He's always been there for me. He, he, he wants good for me. Like he, He's not a competitor with me. He doesn't, he, there's no jealousy in him. He was always speaking for my good, and I just knew this was the first genuine real friend that I'd ever had in my entire life. Uh, a few years ago, me and Callie went to, um, we were going on a trip to Bangkok, and we were going together, and we were traveling on a plane, and we just knew, hey, we probably come up with a plan here. If we don't come back from Bangkok and the plane goes down, we probably need to have a plan for our son, uh, Rylan, uh, to go live somewhere. Man, I, I thought of Joey immediately, and I called Joey, Joey, would you, something happens to us, would you take Rylan into your home without hesitation? He said, yes. I'll treat him as my own. And I believed it. And if we're honest, we want friends like that. We all long to have people in our life that are so devoted for our good, that are loyal to us to the end, that we can always trust. They have these commonalities of Christ with us, but we have such struggle finding these deep, meaningful relationships. Now, studies would show that only about 10% of men have deep, true, meaningful relationships. I think most of that is because men's friendships are centered around the marketplace, uh, meaning like the, the acquaintances and the friends that we have, the friendships are just a necessary thing along the way, right? So they're just convenient, they're shallow. We don't go too deep with those guys because it's centered around work. Women, on the other hand, they're a little bit better than us at making friends uh, because they, they share more and they feel more. Uh, but the statistics would also show uh, that their relationships don't end up being true and deep and meaningful and lasting because of their sharing and feeling leads to hurt, leads to fractures in relationships. So neither one of us are really, really good at these things. And a friendship, by and large, has fallen on hard times in our culture. We have these um, things that, that war against us that prevent these deep relationships. There is isolation. There is veneer, virtual friends, right? We're known by, I have a thousand friends, but we really don't know anybody. We're alone together. 
there's, the, there's, the, um, there's the attack of privatization of our lives. Meaning like we make a mighty fortress around our life and we don't let anyone come in, right? We have these high privacy fences. We drive our cars in the garage. I don't need friends in my life. I'm good with my spouse. They're my best friend. Um, And there's this privatization that happens. And we say, I don't need a real, deep, true, meaningful friend. And if that's your posture, if your posture is I don't need that, I'm good, I am very concerned for you. I'm very concerned for you because you're not only robbing yourself, you're not only robbing your family, you're not only robbing your church, but you are rejecting your God and you are rejecting the scriptures themselves. In Genesis 2.18, in the creation mandate, it is not good for us to be alone. Now clearly that's in the context of marriage, but principally we are created in community with one another. We are God's people And this is a community endeavor. So we were created and we were made for these deep friendships. Today, my goal, all right, my goal is not to encourage you uh, to get friendships and get friends so that your life is better. That's not the purpose of friendships. The scriptures would not say that it's all about you. And just making your life on earth better. The goal of this is so that you would make these friends, good godly friends, so that you become more godly, more like Jesus. That's the purpose of these things. So that you would have a Jonathan in your life that would help you grow in godliness. Yes, it does make our lives better, for sure. But the primary purpose of these friendships are to make us grow in God. So that's why we're going to look at the story between, this friendship between Jonathan and David. And in this, we're going to see these great principles, not only in their relationship, but the founding principles of how we can experience these very same uh, relationships. So let me get, give you some context here. It's similar to last week. In 1 Samuel 18, it rolls out the beginning of this relationship. But we know that uh, God appointed a king. He appointed two kings at the beginning of the nation of Israel, Saul and then David. So we know that God put his favor on Saul, anoints him as the king. But quickly we know what happens because of his wicked heart. His desire for his own ambition instead of God's mission. God says, I'm taking myself away from you, Saul. Go find me another king, Samuel. They find this young shepherd boy, humble harp player, uh, that he would be the next king of Israel. Right, So that's the story. And then the whole thing happens where the whole David and Goliath story. Right, So Goliath, this nine-foot champion of Gath here, he's standing there uh, of the Philistines, and he's mocking the people of God. He's mocking all of them, mocking the army. And no one is courageous enough to stand before Goliath. King Saul and his own son Jonathan cower in fear until this little boy carrying a lunch to his brother's rolls up and sees what's happening and is blown away by how this Goliath is mocking the people of God. He says, I'll take this, give it to me. With God on his side and a sling and a stone in his hand, he split the skull of Goliath, walked across the battlefield, took a sword, cut his head off. He was a mighty man of valor. He takes the head of Goliath He walks over to Saul. Saul's like, who is this guy? He's like, I'm the son of Jesse. And then immediately what happens? Saul knew, like everyone else knew, 
God had favor on David. He pulled him into his inner circle. He began to grow in stature. But quickly, we know that the people, the Israelites, began to sing a lot more about David than they did Saul. Jealousy formed. He put a bounty on his head. He wanted to kill David. And what makes this an interesting story here today as we transition to Jonathan, Jonathan was Saul's son. Jonathan was an heir to the throne. He was set to be the next king of Israel, not David. So he has every reason to be threatened by David. That guy's going to take my throne. I'm the man. David's trending on Twitter. Like everybody knows who David is. His fame, his popularity is exploding throughout the land. He's going to get Jonathan's job, his throne, everything. So he is a natural enemy of David. How will Jonathan respond to David? I know the way I, I would play it. Probably want to kill him. Let's look at what he does, though. 1 Samuel 18.1 As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, this is David, as soon as he finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. And Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Don't miss this. This is scandalous. This is so unnatural. I mean, he, he, he's just met David. They didn't grow up together. They didn't go to the same school. They didn't have the same hobbies. He sees this whole Goliath thing go down. He heard David's awesome speech. And immediately his soul was knit to David's. And he loved him as his own soul. This is not normal. Right? We tend to think people who are a threat to our power, our comfort, our fame, the advancement of our name in this world, we want to kill them, right? They're a threat. They're definitely not a comrade. They're a competitor. Jonathan should want David to die, right? Well, instead, he becomes his ride or die. He says, I'm all in. I love David, I'm with him all of the way. This is the beginning of the relationship between David and Saul so, and Jonathan. How, how's it, how does this happen? Like, what is the foundation of this relationship where David and, and, Saul, and, and Jonathan here, their souls are knit together in love? What's going on here that would prompt him to love the man who's going to take his job. Why would David trust um, and have, have Jonathan work for him later? Like, what, what's going on here in this unnatural relationship? Well, let's talk about that because this recipe that the relationship between David and Jonathan is the basis for our relationships and the friends that we should have in our life as we seek to have Jonathan's and we seek to be Jonathan's, all right? There are five components that we're gonna see. In their relationship. The first one is this. Commonality of soul. Commonality of soul. This is the cornerstone of real friendships. Commonality of soul. David and Jonathan 
longed for the same things. They assented to the very same authority. They dreamed the same dreams. They were going the same way. They loved the same God. They had a commonality of soul. And because of this, we're told that their souls were knit together. You know, some of you have friends or acquaintances, but you don't have true deep friendships because you don't have commonality of soul with them. You ascribe yourself to the practice of separation of church and friends. You have your church peeps, and then you have your people you do life with. Come in on Sunday, shake a few hands, what's up, how you doing? And you leave this place, and then you go do life with people you do not have commonality of soul with. If that's you, you will stunt your growth. You will stumble in sin, and you will ruin yourself. Listen to Paul in 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Do not be deceived. Bad company ruins good morals. Proverbs 13, 20. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffer. Some of you need to hear this badly, badly, badly this morning. Because some of you are ruining your life. You surround yourself with fools. You sit at the seat of scoffers and sinners. And it is causing you to stumble. It is causing you to sin. And it is stunting your growth. You need to hear and you need to respond to these things today. This is the thing of why you wallow in the same place for years and years and years. And you do not grow in Christ because you surround yourself with scoffers, immoral people, and sinners. You might say, well, I thought we were supposed to be around sinners. Didn't Jesus invest in the sinners? Did he eat and drink with sinners? Yeah, he sure did. And you know why he did it? Because he was seeking and saving the lost. And if you're doing that, go do that. But I think what I often see too many times is people hiding under the banner of, I'm investing in them, I'm working on them. But really, all that is, is a masquerade that allows you continue to walk in the commonality of, not of soul, but the commonality of sin. People of God, listen to me at this moment. Who are you doing life with? Who are your friends? All friendships are impactful, and there are no friendships that have neutrality to them. All friendships 
will either strengthen you in God or they will weaken you in God. They will either pull you away from Christ or they'll draw you to Christ. There is no neutrality in friendships. So who are your friends? Who are the people that you spend in the trenches doing life with, hanging out, calling, texting? Who are those people? Do you have commonality of soul with them? Do you ascend to the same authority? Do you love the same Jesus Christ? Are you on the same mission as them? If you're not, change your friends. Change your Jesus or change your friends. Change your behavior or change your God. That's what I'm telling you to do today. And it will go good for you. He is a good, good God. And he wants you to experience the friendship that he has given to us. And you'll never do it if you don't have a friend like Jonathan. You'll never do it if you're not being a Jonathan to someone with commonality of soul. The second thing we see here, he moves on from commonality of soul, is followed by love. Twice we're told in this text of five that he loved him as his own soul. Remember here. This love, notice the immediacy of this. I told you, he didn't grow up with Jonathan. They didn't grow up together. He didn't know him. But immediately after hearing his compelling speech and his compelling sermon about how much he loved God, immediately he loved David as his own soul. And in loving David as his own soul, he was fulfilling the law of God. Love your neighbor as your Self And he loved David. In every sense of the word, he loved him. Now, we know that in a relationship, that if only one person loves the other, and it's not reciprocated, that's called stalking, right? We know that. Agreed? Well, in this relationship, David reciprocated the love towards Jonathan. This was a two-way loving relationship. Now, in 1 Samuel 20, when Jonathan warned David that his dad was going to kill him, we're seeing the story of David and Jonathan embracing one another. Like in, in hugs, like ugly cries, like weeping. They, they were sad because they were going to be apart from one another. So there's this emotive love that's happening here. They had a deep devotion for one another. We know that da- uh, Jonathan, after Jonathan died... All right, David wrote a song about him in 2 Samuel. He was weeping and mourning the loss of his best friend. And listen to what he said in his song in 2 Samuel. He said, Your love to me was extraordinary, surpassing the love of women. This is an extraordinary relationship. Sadly, It's been hijacked by some people who've proof-texted and said that David and Jonathan were in a homosexual relationship with one another. See? He says that. He says he loved Jonathan, loved David more than women. No, no, no. The Bible never condones homosexuality as it never condones the practice of any sin, right? So what's going on here? Why did David say that? Here's why. David's problem was that he had multiple wives and he never experienced a true 
covenantal marriage with one wife. So that's why he said that his love was better than women. If David had had one covenant marriage with one covenant wife, there's no way he would have said, Hey, Jonathan, I'd rather love you than my wife. No way. But he knew. He knew what love and a loving relationship meant and how impactful it was in his life. Well, let's keep going to the third piece here. And this is commitment. This relationship had commitment because it had covenant. Let's read this together in verses 3 through 4. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. So here in this moment, Jonathan is making a covenant with David. This covenant, this commitment that he's making to him is a lifelong devotion. He's stripping away his robe, his armor, his sword, his bow. He's giving David all of these things, what he's doing in this very moment. He's stripping himself of all power. Remember, he's an heir to the future king, the throne. He's, he's the man. So he's stripping off all of his royalty to give over to make David royalty. You have to understand here the great covenant, the great commitment he's making to David in this very moment. He was a friend who was committed to the good of his friend beyond his own ambitions. He wasn't jealous. He wasn't a competitor. He was confessing a lifelong devotion, commitment, covenant to David. And I think what we see here in the story, I think we get a great picture of what a great friendship does. A great friendship is when you have two people who desire to make the other person royalty to make them kings willing to set aside their own selfish ambitions i only want to see good for them i only want to see them flourish in god not you know how often we could get in these friendships and we're like wishing bad things would happen to people what a horrible friend we are what horrible people we are we should want to the people of god to flourish and do well Regardless of what that means for me, Jonathan knew this. He was always for his good. He wasn't wasn't imprisoned by jealousy and competition and comparison. He He wasn't caught up in that. He was free to love Jonathan as his own soul. As a true friend means To see them as God intends for them to be. That's what a true friend does. Do you have the blessing and the fortune of having somebody in your life like that? I hope you do. Some of you do have Jonathans. And they are an amazing blessing. Some of you need that Jonathan in your life. You need to feel what loving friendship actually means. And you need to be that way towards other people. Let's stop wishing other people bad. You think God wishes the people of God bad? 
You think he's up there saying, God, I'm going to make something really horrible. I really hope they slip up today. No, he only wants to see good in us. So we, as image bearers of God, should only want to see good in people. To make them royalty. To make them kings. The next piece is this. Loyalty. Loyalty. Now we know in the story that Saul eventually... Uh, begin to see this whole thing going down. David was a threat uh, to his throne. He sent out the bounty. He wanted to kill uh, David. We begin to see all of these things. And a few times, he ordered Jonathan, his own son, to kill David. So think you're you're Jonathan for just a moment. Here you're in this position. Your own father... All right, your own father tells you to kill the threat to his throne and the threat to your throne. Your own father says, be loyal to me, not to him. What a predicament this is for Jonathan. What will he do? Right? Will his loyalty be to blood is thicker than water? Family first? What will he do? Look at... 1 Samuel 19, 4 through 5. And Jonathan spoke well of David to Saul, his father, and said to him, Let not the king sin against his servant David, because he has not sinned against you, and because his deeds have brought good to you. For he took his life in his hand, and he struck down the Philistine. And the Lord worked a great salvation for all of Israel. You saw it and rejoiced. Why then will you sin against innocent blood by killing David without cause? Jonathan's pleading to his dad. He's expressing his loyalty to David, not his father. 1 Samuel 20, 31-32. For as long as the son of Jesse lives, this is Saul talking to Jonathan, neither you nor your kingdom shall be established. Therefore send and bring him to me, for he shall surely die. Then Jonathan answered Saul, his father, Why should he be put to death? What has he done? You are seeing the loyalty of Jonathan. Even when it was going to cost him his throne and potentially cost him his life. Saul could kill him for this, right? He is showing his devotion to David over his own blood. There's a lot of preaching I could do right there. A lot. His devotion, his commonality of soul was with David over his own flesh and blood. That was true friendship. This loyalty would go on expressed, reciprocated by David towards Jonathan. Later on in life when both Saul and Jonathan were killed... Um, and their bodies were stolen. David heard the story uh, about uh, their bodies, and he sent uh, his men to go recapture their, their bones, and he gave them a proper burial. Jonathan had a son named Mephibosheth, and Mephibosheth was injured when he was a young child, and his legs uh, didn't work. All right. Well, after Jonathan died, David sent for Mephibosheth, and told him he could come live with him in the kingdom. And he took care of Mephibosheth for the rest of his life as his own son. That's loyalty. That's commitment. Do you have somebody in your life 
that if something were to happen to your kids, who would you call? And the person that you call, do you have commonality of soul? Are they fighting for the same mission as you do? They love the same God. They have the same authority of Jesus Christ. That's who should be taking care of your kids. I hope that is your family. But if it's not, who will you give your children to? Great lessons to learn here. This idea of commitment and loyalty are foreign concepts today. And that transcends through a lot of different realms. There's no staying power really in anything. We change phones. We change jobs. We change neighborhoods. Therefore, we change churches quickly, hopping around all the time. Change, some people change spouses too quick. And then they rolls over to changing friendships so fast because we look at them as just disposable. We use friendships often like tubes of toothpaste. We squeeze everything out of them we could possibly get for our own consumption. And my contention is this, that if you view your friendship as only consumeristic, only what you can get out of them, you are robbing yourself. You're robbing yourself and you're robbing your friend. And you don't understand what true loyalty and friendships really mean. Do you have someone like a Jonathan who's loyal to you no matter what? And are you a Jonathan to someone else showing loyalty? Last one is this. They had a commonality of mission. So they didn't just agree on the same things intellectually. They didn't just have the same love of God in their hearts. They were actively fighting for the same mission, which was the glory of God. They were both mighty men of valor, fighting for Israel and fighting for God. The heroics of David are well documented. We know those stories, right? But what Often not known is that, that Jonathan was also a mighty man. Right? He slayed 20 Philistines. He was a mighty man. He, he was fighting just like David was fighting. They were going the same direction, fighting for the same mission. The people of God that you're around, your friendships. Can you look at your friends and say, we're both fighting for the glory of Jesus Christ, for the fame and the name, the advancement of Jesus Christ in my life. Can you look around? Can you say that about your friends? If not, you need to change your friends. You need to change your friends because you're not truly experiencing the true friendship that Jesus Christ would have for you. So let me transition. Why? I would start by saying if you have like no desire for a friend like Jonathan to hold you accountable, to encourage you, to make you more godly, make you more like Jesus... And if you don't desire to be a Jonathan to anyone, I would probably say that you're not a Christian. Like if you're like, I don't want those people in my life. I'm cool by myself. I don't have time to be that to somebody else. He's kind of a sucker. He's kind of weak. He's laying down all the time. I don't want to be that guy. I lovingly would say you're probably not a Christian. So what is the motivation then? Why should I want a Jonathan? Why should you want a Jonathan in your life? Why should you want to be a Jonathan? Let me tell you why you shouldn't want it. Because I'm making you feel guilty right now? That's one reason you shouldn't. 
You shouldn't want a Jonathan so you can do better and be better and have a greater life on earth. That's a poor motivation. Your motivation to get a Jonathan is not so that you can please God. Our motivation to get a Jonathan and to be a Jonathan and have our friendships look like this is always rooted in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And you have to understand how it applies to everything that we do, every single sermon, every single scripture. We have to know that we were born and our souls were not knit together with God. They were severed from God. Our sin has severed our souls from the living God. We are unloving. We are disloyal. We are covenant breakers. We're horrible friends. In fact, we're not just horrible friends of God. We're enemies of God. Like we failed in every way, shape, and form of being a friend to God. Hopeless to ever fix that relationship. And what was his response to it? Jesus Christ, friend of sinners. We were natural enemies of God. He responds just like Jonathan responded to David. He threw a robe on us, a robe of righteousness. He made us kings. He made us royalty. He kept the covenant. He was always faithful. He was always loving. And he kept it to the very end. Jesus Christ was the ultimate friend. And he modeled it for us when he lived on the earth. That is your motivation for being a Jonathan. That is your motivation for getting a Jonathan in your life. No other reason but by the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Is that not enough? It is. It absolutely is. That's our motivation. But as I said up top, we get the information, we have the motivation, but now it's got to be transformation. How do we do it? How do we go and get friends? How do we make friends? Where do I get a Jonathan? How do I become a Jonathan? Here's where we start. We start with prayer. You always start with prayer, which shows a dependency upon God. It shows a, um, that we need to lay before God our privatized hearts that say, I don't want this kind of person in my life, and I don't want to be there. You need for God to overcome your privatized heart. It's the first thing you need to do. The second thing is this. You need to work at it. You need to put in some holy sweat and put yourself in the way of these friendships. Like if you leave here on Sunday and you walk straight out the door and you go to your car, you can never say, well, I didn't have any friends there. No one knew me. I was gone for a month and a half and no one checked on me. All that really proves is that you didn't have a Jonathan and you definitely are not a Jonathan. You have to put in holy sweat. What does that look like? Man, it means after this service, you have to linger. You have to linger in the lobby. You might have to come up to someone and greet yourself as we're called to do according to the scriptures, to greet one another. You may have to sign up 
for a study on Sunday morning in some of our classrooms. You may have to sign up for a life group, engage in a Bible study, a men's group, a women's group. You're going to have to put holy sweat. You're going to put yourself into the way of friendships. It doesn't just happen. I, I know we have a lot of of opportunities and a menu of services often at the church. And I tell you to go online for this, I go online for that, go to the app for this. I don't have, we don't have a find a friend spot on the website. We, we just don't have it. If we have to do that, I don't know what we're doing. You are going to naturally have to engage in making friendships. And it will always be for your good. So here's how we're going to respond and close this thing out. This altar is uh, a reminder. We don't have a, typically a culture here where people move during the service. Oftentimes we're kind of frozen in our seats. and I'm trying to change that culture. We're trying to change that culture because I think there's something powerful in the people of God moving. Um, and I was reminded of that a few weeks ago in regards to the altar and people just moving. I want to continue to lay that opportunity for you today. If you are someone here today, you've heard the word of God spoken. You've gotten the information. You know the motivation And you now say, I need a Jonathan. I want to be a Jonathan. I need to get rid of the fools and the scoffers and the sinners in my life. I need to invest in them, but I don't need to be around them right now. Maybe that's you. That's what this is for. It's a place for the people who come up and say, I want that. I need that. It's good. It's right. And this is where you begin. So we're going to sing. We're going to, uh, Brad's going to lead us through a song. Brad, y'all go ahead and come on out. We're going to lead through a song of worship. And right now, this is a time for you to just move. You're going to move, and then we'll take up our tithes and our offerings um, in our second song um, as an additional response to worship. But right now, this is a place to move with the altar here. You need a Jonathan, and you need to be a Jonathan. Let me pray. Father, we love you. And we love this picture, this relationship between David and Jonathan. I think, um, I think your people long and desire for this kind of thing. I don't think it's natural. But it is supernatural. And you have given us, um, you've given us reason. You've given us a why behind it. God, now we pray and we depend upon your Holy Spirit to move people to respond today. They would actually leave this place today willing to transform their lives and line it up according to the Scripture. They would start to surround themselves today to begin to put Jonathans in their life, to become Jonathans to others. Move your people. God, thank you for the gift of friendship. And thank you most of all for Jesus Christ, who befriends sinners like me. In Jesus' name, amen.